This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Welcome. You'll notice that we were, let me just make a comment. Some of you, maybe it's your first time here and you're thinking, why do these people want to have church in the dark? We don't, just the lights are having a bit of a malfunction. You know, sometimes you have to just tear behind the curtain a little bit, you know, we're not trying out a new thing, just the spotlights aren't working. So did, I just was texting people at the beginning, I, I, I'm not gonna be able to see my notes in the dark because the eyes aren't what they once were, ladies and gentlemen. I am really trying to push back against the reading glasses. It is a battle I am not winning right now. So in the dark, okay. Well, we're at the end of our 100-week series on Revelation. (laughs) If this is your first week, that was a joke. We have not been in Revelation for 100 weeks. For some of you, it feels like we've been in Revelation for 100 weeks. It's only been 8, 10, 12, 10. Um, And uh, I I am really excited to talk about the last couple chapters in Revelation Uh, What I do want to do today is look over some of what we've learned. If this is your first week here, it's a great week to come because you're going to get the Coles notes on uh, what we've talked about. Uh, My hope, someone said to me, well, what what was your hope teaching Revelation? Like, what did you, like, what was, was it just to have this very scary opener at the beginning? Uh, My hope for all of us is that as we study, as we just studied all you know, we gave an overview. Basically, we couldn't do a line-by-line teaching on Revelation because then we would be at it for 100 years, 100 weeks. Um, but my hope for all of us is that it would help us to lean in a little bit to what Scripture says. I, I hope, my hope is for some of you, maybe the book of Revelation has been uh, scary and not, you're not able to access it. Uh, my hope is that the book of Revelation has become more accessible for you, that when you go to read it now, that you go, oh, okay, yes, I I understand what the Lord is saying to us here at some level. Okay, so let's just give a little bit of a summary. Uh, We learned at the beginning that revelation, the word the revelation actually in Greek means the apocalypse. And in English, when we hear that word apocalypse, we think about the last three years, right? Like, whoa, we lived through that. But in fact, the word apocalypse simply means unveiling. And what John talks about is he says that this is the revelation of Jesus. So in fact, the book of Revelation is not about a soon coming zombie apocalypse. It's about the unveiling of Jesus. And this is what we've got to keep in mind from beginning to end, that this is not supposed to be some welcome to being weird. Uh, This is really about Jesus unveiling himself to us. And this is uh, important. Uh, We also learned that in apocalyptic literature, okay, so Revelation is not the only book that's been written in this kind of genre. It's called apocalyptic literature, and it was very, very popular uh, when John wrote it. Um, If you think about the popularity of it, it would kind of be like anime of our day. How many people, okay, so some of you right now who are my age or older, I think, I don't even know what you're talking about. But for those of you that are in another age category, you know what? Anime has become this, it's a Japanese art form, it's beautiful, and they tell stories, and if you're under, I want to say 30, you really understand this. This is kind of how popular apocalyptic literature was. People were like, this is the, 
this is the relevant kind of information that we're reading. And so when John wrote this book, it was very relevant to the people that were reading it. They understood this genre. Now, this genre can't be read uh, like how you read novels, like you start at chapter one and you go to chapter 20 or whatever. Uh, apocalyptic literature was, was littered with all kinds of colors and numbers. These numbers were never to be taken literally. Remember we talked about this week after week, that, that the letters, that the colors and numbers in the book of Revelation are not literal, they're not statistics, they're symbols. Okay, so this is really important. If you weren't here on the first week, you can get it, grab a sheet out there that sort of will help guide you through some of those symbols. And the book of Revelation is not written in a linear or chrono chronological manner. So the question we're asking is not what comes next, but rather what does John see next? And there's been a number of uh, Revelation scholars, theologians, who have, who have helped me in that regard. And that changes everything, particularly when you have some chapters and you're seeing them, it's the same story being told, it's just being told from different perspectives. Uh, the fourth thing we learned is that Revelation was a prophetic and pastoral letter written to people who were under tremendous persecution. This is really important to remember. Because if you see it as like basically John was writing the National Enquirer, do you remember that magazine? Does that magazine still exist? When I was growing up, so I, I uh, when I, it was about 12 or 13, I grew up in the church. I remember pastors yelling at us, when you go to the grocery store, don't read the National Enquirer. And I can remember being in the grocery store line. But you know when someone tells you not to do something, what do you want to do? You really want to do it? So I'd stand at the, and look like this, pretending I was really checking out the gum, but I was reading the National Enquirer. Which had a lot of weird stories about aliens and people who, Elvis being sighted, Anyways, some of us, this is how we've learned to read Revelation, like the National Enquirer, like it's some like, but, but instead, we, we need to remember when we're reading it that, that John was writing it to people that were under extreme persecution. Already 40,000 Christians had been killed at the hand of Nero and uh, Domitian, and John wrote this letter to comfort them. Now, if you read the book of Revelation as like a National Enquirer paper, you will not be comforted. You will be intrigued, maybe, but not comforted. And this was the point of Revelation, that it was to comfort the people of God. It was to bring them into a, a stronger discipleship, make them stronger Christians. And I want to suggest that that's how we should read it today, too. That, that the book of Revelation is meant to increase our discipleship. It's a genre lots of us are not used to, but this is what it is, it is meant to do. Okay, throughout the... Um, Throughout the book of Revelation, we can see that Babylon is used, and particularly, we didn't do a lot of study in these chapters, but Revelation 13 through 19 um, really uses the, the um, idea of Babylon as a picture of a culture that's trying to seduce us. And Revelation 13, 13 through 19, they talk about the harlot of Babylon, the horror of Babylon, depending on what version you read, and it's funny if you're a kid and are reading about that. But anyways, uh, the whole of these chapters is telling us over and over again, don't get seduced by the culture. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't, don't give in to the beast. And it's not talking about a literal beast, but the enemy of your soul who wants to, who wants to keep you uh, not focused on Jesus, but sucked into the culture. And this is an important message for us today, yes? 
I mean, it takes like five seconds to get sucked into the culture. Do you ever, um, well, maybe it's only me, I'm just going to tell on myself for a minute. You ever, you go on social media and you just say to yourself, it's just, just going to be for a minute or two? <laughs> yes. And then you've read every article that there ever was about weird things. I mean, talk, we live in a culture that can get us sucked into weird stuff in five seconds without us even knowing about it. And what Revelation reminds us over and over again is we are to be a people that keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus because at the end of, at the end of it all, this is all that matters. Jesus is all that matters. Revelation also is written as one long love letter. Last week we talked about how God calls us to be the bride of Christ. And we're told, really, I mean, you can see this all throughout the book of Revelation, that God keeps calling us his bride, and that's a reminder to us that God wants intimacy with us. He's not interested in religious, like, platitudes. God was never interested in you keeping, like, his, his he doesn't sit up in heaven and go, you know what I'm most interested in is that they keep all 7,000 rules. That's what I'm looking for. No, the God in heaven calls us to intimacy with him, and we live wholly for him be out of that relationship. When we get that backwards, though, when we say, what I'm going to do is keep all the rules and be a really good person so that God will love me, it messes everything up. That's how you get mean Christians, crabby Christians, fighting Christians, that's how you get church splits. I mean, it's, it's really the bane of all. So we got to keep in mind, the book of Revelation keeps calling us back to intimacy with Jesus, like to a real, living, breathing relationship with him. And all throughout the Bible, this is what God's calling us to. It's interesting that the book, um, I've been studying the book of Job just this last number of weeks. And it's interesting that God, um, chronologically, do, did you know that the book of Job is the first book written in the Bible? And it's this real, like if you've never read, read it before, it's this real back and forth that Job is like kind of complaining and talking to God. And he has this, what seems like, like these very long monologues of like, God, my life is the worst. And his life really kind of is the worst at the time. But it's, this is the first book of the Bible, right? Now, no, not the first Genesis is where we start in the beginning, but it's the first chronological book written. It tells you something about God's wanting intimacy with us. The very first book he would go, and now I'm going to show you a book where someone's talking to me and complaining about all their problems. Because you don't go to the grocery store, well, hopefully, oh, I'm praying that you don't. If you are the type that goes to the grocery store and talks to the cashier for a long time, I have prayed for your soul. <laughs> but you don't go to the grocery store to somebody you don't know and be like, and okay, I'm going to pour out all my problems to you. My NMAX bill came in. It's tripled the price. I think we're going to go under. Someone repossessed my car. My cat ran away. Like, that's weird. If you do that, that's weird. And jo what the book of Job tells us is that God actually wants an intimate, living, breathing relationship with us. And this is what the book of Revelation tells us too. Keeps calling us back to be his bride. This is why nominal Christianity will never be enough. It'll never be enough to show up on these comfortable maroon chairs, and that's your Christianity. We, we actually are called to intimacy with God, and Revelation tells us that. Uh, and then um, we're also reminded of the seven Beatitudes So I, it, throughout Revelation. Beatitudes meaning how to, how to live a blessed life. Revelation teaches us how to live that blessed life. It reminds us that we are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, that the only way we're going to get to a blessed life is to lean into what God has for us. 
And this, this uh, summarizes kind of what we talked about. Um, and I know, I know some of you were really hoping I'd get into like, and who the, mark, who the beast could be. We could have pictures of people from the current news cycle. <laughs> or that I would like dissect lyrics from songs. There was a weird thing going around on the internet this week of somebody dissecting songs and telling us it was the Antichrist. No, strong, no. This, the book of Revelation was never meant for us to be like, have intrigue and fighting with one another. Because, because that creates, it was calling us to discipleship, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's my hope that you'll read the, Revel the book of Revelation and think, Jesus, how can I keep my eyes fixed on you? How can I get that real cosmic vision of who you are? Because that, my friend, I mean, we're going to have disagreements about all kinds of things, all kinds of things. That's to be expected. We're humans. We don't argue. We don't, I mean, you're, if you're married, you know that this is the truth, right? We can find a lot of things to disagree about. But what we have to keep focused on is what do we agree about as the body of Christ? And the book of Revelation keeps reminding us it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's always been Jesus. Okay, so uh, the, now the last couple of chapters of Revelation are, are all about what we can expect at the end of the end of time. So obviously all of the book of Revelation is talking about the end days, um, and we would particularly believe that the end days are from when Jesus was ascended into heaven till he comes again. We believe he's coming again, but these last couple chapters really talk about when it's all said and done, what is it that we can, um, what is it that we can expect? And maybe more importantly, we need to ask ourselves, why does this matter? Why, the la why are the last couple of books of chapters of Revelation, basically they're all about heaven. And, and there's a couple of reasons, I think, for this. Uh, the, the first one is that um, our culture really does very little talking about the end, doesn't it? Like we all kind of, like all of us, every person here is kind of living, I know that some of you are going to say, not me, okay, okay, so except for the saints amongst us. Um, we all kind of live like we're going to live forever. Like, like you and I, somehow they're going to come up with some crypto version of ourselves, right? Do you know that they have had to, and maybe someone here is this career, but they've had to like create death doulas because we don't know how to die. We, we actually think we're going to live forever, and that's how we live our lives. Our culture does very, very little talking about the end. But I think this creates dissonance for us as humans. Because, in fact, we, we are people who think about the end. Like, okay, let me just give you an example. I'm going to sing a scale. La, 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 la. I know what 75% of you just did in your mind, right? You went... You, you ended the scale because it's so annoying, isn't it, when someone, like, sings half of something? Or, like, um, what, what if you were to just, what if fairy tales were like this? Cinderella was in a real problem, and then she got a shoe, the end. I mean, we would, we would psychologically damage our children. There are many ways to psychologically, but, but that would be a problem because as humans, what we want is things to be tied up. We, we, want, we want to know the end. We are designed, God designed us that way to actually see the end in mind. I think much of our anxiety over coronavirus really had less to do with the virus itself and much more to do with the fact that we could not see the end. 
Because like, you notice, you remember those first two weeks when they told us to stay home to flatten the curve for two weeks? I mean, most of us, if we're honest, we're all like, all right, yes, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to keep my cilantro to myself. I'm inviting nobody over. My in-laws cannot come over. You are not allowed legally. Stay home. Okay, so that was nice because we had an ending. It felt like, yes, it's going to end, and we're getting a free two-week vacation. We don't have to wake up for the bus. I mean, there was lots of... None of us admitted that out loud. We were, <laughs> we all pretend, but, but secretly, there were shows we wanted to binge watch. There's a lot of baking shows, and I, a lot of us tried out the sourdough. It was lovely. The problem became when it was two weeks, and then two months, and then six months, and then are we ever going back to normal? Like, and then when people started to say, there will never be a normal again. And they'd say it so ominously, too, like, you're never going to have friends again. Might as well let your backyard go to dandelions because no one's coming over. Get used to minus 35 dinners for your birthday. That's what it's going to be forever. And people, some of you are, are very good at the ominous. You loved, people who, you loved that intro because it was very ominous and, okay. But I think really what made us feel like weird about it all was that we couldn't see we couldn't, you, none of us could see it, and if you were future-oriented at all, that made things feel very insecure, made it feel like you couldn't know. And I, I believe this is why God put the end of the end at the book, because for those of us that just, we need to know what's coming, God told us this. And if we don't study the scriptures this way, like if we just leave these chapters out, we, we get a really bad theology. I've had people come to me before in like in great turmoil and say, like, Pastor Jess, I just, I'm going to tell you something that I feel really embarrassed to tell you. And I've had more than one, probably more than 10 people come with real angst. The thing is, they'd say to me, I just don't really want to die because I feel like heaven's going to be super boring. Well, and the reason for that is like, I don't want to be on a cloud with a harp. I don't even like harp music. I had one young person say to me, those Philadelphia cream cheese commercials, is that just what we're going to be? So like, listen, if you let the culture disciple you, that's what's going to happen. You let the culture disciple you, you're, you're going to be, and this is why we got to study the scripture. What does the scripture actually say about the end of time? Because a lot, much of our theology is not based in the word, it's based in what the culture tells us. I am not going to eat cream cheese on a cloud eating, playing a harp. If you like harp music, bless you. You'll be in a different part of heaven than me. Okay. So, and I, I think without a bigger picture of hope, we can get all caught up in details that ultimately don't matter. So I'm not saying your life doesn't matter. I'm not saying the details of your life don't matter. They do. But we also have to keep a really good perspective on this life and what we're and the problems that we're dealing with right now. Okay, so today we're going to look at Roman, uh, Revelation 21 to 22. We're going to do a very fast flyover. I would encourage you to read these chapters. These are great chapters, mom and dad, to read with your your kids, and actually um, read it out loud because we know that this is one of the beatitudes. Blessed are those that read the book of Revelation and do what it says. Okay, so if, the first thing is this, and this is a little bit of a. Uh, We've had a cultural belief in this. At the end of times, we don't go up to heaven. The end of the end, we don't fly up to heaven. God brings up heaven to us. Did you know that? Uh, and we know this because let, let's just read Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, John says, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. By the way, that reference to the sea, do you remember in the first week we talked about how the sea always represents turmoil, problems, uh, all kinds of like, uh, the sea, because people were seafaring people, they'd get in these boats and then like a, a storm would whip up and they'd all drown. Seas were not places, like it's not like how we are, like, oh, I want to go to the seaside. It's going to be such a great vacation. No, no, seas were like places of awfulness. So there's no more sea, talking about there's no more turmoil. And then he says in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And then it says, coming down out of heaven from God. At the end of time, when Jesus comes back, he's bringing a new heaven and a new earth to us. Um, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God himself comes. And this is, the end of, this is a beautiful picture um, of of God coming down to us. Now, there's all kinds of theological conundrums about what does it mean then before Jesus comes a second time, and like, and if I die before Jesus comes, what, what, what happens then? And we believe that God takes us to heaven, but at the end of end times, when Jesus comes back, he's bringing a new heaven and a new earth. And that's really good news for all of us, for all of us. Okay, second thing is that there's going to be no more tears and no more sorrow. Um, it's in verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And I think some of us have, have lost this truth somehow. We get caught in our sorrow right now, in the here and now. So when you read historical Christianity, and you read sort of things that like people had to go through, like consider... Consider the church that this letter was first written to. 40,000 of them had been killed. They were being blamed for burning down Rome. I mean, they were the pariah of all, of everyone. And this scripture here saying, no, no, you're going to make it. And, and God's going to wipe every tear from your eye. I think of, um, if you read even hundreds of years ago, when, when African people had come and been slaves, the way they got through it is remembering that God was going to wipe every tear from their eye. In the 21st century, when it comes to pain and hardship, we often forget this. We sort of live in the, like, I'm going to be a perpetual sorrow forever. And this is where we got to remember, I'm not going to live forever. You're going to die. So am I. And this is a hope we have that God's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. This is why Paul said, death, where is your victory? There, there's like, there's no sting in death anymore because when the end of time comes, God is going to wipe every tear from our eye. Okay, third thing Paul talks about is this, or John talks about is indescribable beauty. You can see as John, uh, we talked about this, how God is using different writers um, with different gifts to like talk. And, and John is writing in a very poetic way in this in this section. Verse 11 says, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It's talking about heaven at this point. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold is pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl. I'm very impressed by John knowing all these minerals. 
Like, as you read them, can you, maybe the geologist, yes, the geologists in the room would know what these are, but I would just say, looks nice, looks good, fancy, shiny. The 10th turquoise, the 11th jacinth. You can Google that. The 12th amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate made the single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Okay, what this, what this tells us is that the God that we serve is a God that is concerned with beauty. This, this is a call. I, I've been saying this to a few of you this week. Like, I, I deep in my bones be, believe that God has called um, the artists. Like, if you're an artist here, you're, you're walking in God's ways. His ways are beautiful. And, and the church has done a disservice, particularly in the last little bit, saying, oh, beauty doesn't matter. It's idol worship. And that's, I mean, anything can become an idol, but, but we do need the artists. If you're an artist, if you're a poet, if you're a, we need your, um, we need you leaning into beauty because this is what it will be at the end of time. And when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when you make art, you're actually following this scripture out. So we honor the artists. We honor those of you that are creative. And in any way that you're creative, this tells us, the scripture here tells us that our God is a creative God. This is something that we can, you know, in the last number of years, we haven't talked a lot about heaven very much. I think we've gotten away from it because, like, we've just gotten enamored with our own things here. Like, oh, look at this shiny internet we're making. What God makes is so much more beautiful. We've got to lean into it again. We've got to become people that deal with death differently, that deal with the end differently. Okay, there's no more thirst. Um, this um, no more restlessness is maybe a way of saying it. In, in verse 21, it says, To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes Take the free gift of the water of life. This is said both in uh, chapter 21 and chapter 22. There's this idea that, you know, um, thirstiness speaks to, like, restlessness. Like when we, have you ever had it that you were really thirsty? You were outside and you just, you had juice or pop and it just doesn't quench your thirst. Um, This is true of us in life, right? There's all kinds of things that just, like, we try to, like, if I get this promotion then I won't be restless anymore. If I get this house, then I won't be restless anymore. If I get married, then I won't be restless anymore. If I have kids, then I won't be restless anymore. And everybody knows that that's a funny thought. Um, But we always have these if and whens, and God says, listen, at the end of time, your restlessness, the, the, the water is always the idea of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we're told that there's no light needed. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp, reminding us that God is with us omnipresent. There's no impurity there. Nothing impure, verse 27 says, will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life. And I was thinking about this at first. I was reading it like, yes, nobody awful is going to be there. And then I remembered myself. And I thought, you know what, this is reminding us that all the impurities in your life, the shame, like Brené Brown has made a whole career out of helping us with our shame, right? Because it's a real thing. Shame is a real thing. But what, what the scripture tells us is that someday, the shame, 
that, uh, that we deal with is going to be pushed away. The impurities and all of our, that we struggle with. Paul said, I do what I, do, I, do what I don't want to do, and what I don't want to do, I do. Who's going to save me from this? Like, I'm a wretch. And, Paul, and he was Paul. When Jesus comes, when we get to this beautiful place, there's going to be no shame, no impurity. It's going to be a river flowing. And then all the nations, you know, a couple of times in Revelation chapter 21, all the way to, through chapter 23, there is this um, continually, the scripture, and really throughout the book of Revelation, there's continually this idea that all the nations will be together, that we're all going to be. And what's cool is that um, this is, this is basically, let me just give you my theological belief. We cannot be colorblind because God is not colorblind. Like, if God's saying all the, if we're all the same when we get to heaven, all with, like, white dresses on, all playing a harp, um, how would we have the nations? Do you ever think about that? Your cultural background, the nation you are from, is important. It's important to God. We don't become, like, uh, the, like the kingdom of God is flat in that we are all equal, but that doesn't mean we're all the same. I think... I, um, this is sort of what I did my master's thesis on, that I, I actually believe Revelation tells us that your background matters. Like, Tomoko, you're from Japan. Japanese culture matters. Brenda, you're from Uganda. Ugandan culture matters. This is why we celebrate cultures instead of like saying, you know what, if you come here, it's just the culture of Jesus. Now, we believe the culture of Jesus is high and the most important culture, but your cultural background brings things that, that we need. Yes? Yes? This is, why we, this is why we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Rita and Freddie, your Spanish background matters. Matters. It matters. The culture you come from matters. The country you come from matters. And God doesn't say, and when we all get to heaven, that doesn't matter anymore. He says, no, the nations will be there, and the, the Spirit of God, the river of God, will be a healing for the nations. So we all have things in our cultures that are backwards, all of us. Like things that, just like people, cultures have weird things about them. You think, oh, that's, that's not, that doesn't line up with Jesus, which is why we need each other. Because your, your culture has blind spots that mine does not, and my culture has blind spots that yours does not. So let me just speak to this very practically. The way that we live this out right now is we find people from other cultures and become friends with them. Like find out about the things that like are important to them because the things that are important to you might not be the things that God has revealed to them in their culture. We cannot just say, oh, we're going to be a multicultural church. That, so that sounds so good. But unless we actually work that over in our own personal lives, get to know each other, have each other speak into our lives, it doesn't mean anything, it just sounds nice. And if the only time, listen, if the only time we're working on that is when we've got like a, a cultural food of the nations night, which is a good night, by the way, but then we're not really working that out. I, I, I would, I, 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 um, I know this is a hot, sort of a hot button issue right now. Like we don't really wanna talk about that because we don't wanna step on anybody's feet and make anybody mad. I just think we can't get away from it in Revelation. I think you can't. The scripture over and over again says the nations will be there. The kings of the nations will be there. What? What's that all about? Well, it's just telling us that the nations matter to God. Okay. I'm going to go away from my soapbox now.
And then finally, it tells us that we'll be imprinted with him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Okay, mostly when people study Revelation, they think, um, where, what do you think about when I say it will be imprinted on their foreheads? What do you think about? The, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's rap songs that I could rap for you right now, written on their hands, 666. Okay, there's this idea that, like, we're... Um, if you read the book of Revelation, it says that you will be imprint, that people will become imprinted with the mark of the beast. Okay, and so then it made people very nervous about microchips and microchip processing, that we were all going to line up and get 666 right here. But actually, this scripture gives us a little bit of insight into what God is, what John the Revelator is talking about here. He says that they will see his face and his name will be imprinted on their foreheads. I'm going to just tell you this right now. You are not getting a Jesus tattoo on your forehead. It's not what this is talking about. I mean, if you want to get a Jesus tattoo on your forehead, I don't know if it would look good, but what it's talking about is that we become identified. When something in Deuteronomy, it says, let the scriptures be on your forehead, imprinted on your forehead. It's not talking about like get a little Bible and glue it to your head. It's talking about let the scriptures be who you, like your very identity, let it be found. When Jesus comes back, it's talking about he's going to, we're going to be fully identified with him. When the scripture talks about 666 being imprinted on our foreheads, what it's talking about is that we become so identified with the culture of Babylon that people can't tell the difference between us and the people of God. And I would be much worried, more worried about that than I would be about standing up in line to get a microchip. I'm not getting a microchip in my head, just so that we're aware. But I, I, I think we're much closer to that. Christians being so identified with the world that you can't tell the difference between a follower of Jesus and a follower of the culture. So we're going to be imprinted with him. It's going to be so amazing. You're going to be known as a follower. Like all the things that you wish that you wouldn't do, Jesus is going to come and imprint himself with you, with, with himself. This is amazing. And then finally, uh, we can't get away from this. There, there will be real judgment for those who reject his message. I wish that I could be the preacher that says, and it's all going to turn out happy, clappy for everybody, but Revelation 21 and 22 is very clear. If we, but, but my question becomes, why? Why would we reject this God who's going to take every... Like, I think you read the book of Revelation and you think, I, of course I wouldn't reject it. He's going to wipe every tear from my eye. He's going to fix everything up. He's going to bring me a new heaven and a new earth. I, I just, I can't imagine rejecting this. And this is sort of the attitude that I've decided I'm going to live with people. When I talk to people about Jesus, I'm not saying, and also, by the way, there's a fiery pit of hell being developed for you right now. Would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? <laughs> I don't think this is the way that Jesus acted. I, I, think, I think we got to show up to people and say, like, this God, this God who, of the universe who created everything sees you and wants to make your life better. This becomes a much easier proposition. I think, I think we've like gotten weird about evangelism because we've like had to be scary people. Revelation 21, the last books, like the last word in the Bible, Jesus is reminding us of what kind of things we can look forward to. Okay, so why does this matter? 
I know some of you are sitting here like, I came, I'm still alive. Why does it matter? I, I think it gives us perspective. And the hardest parts of my life, and I've had some hard parts, the parts where I felt like I wasn't sure, like I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get out of my bed again. I wasn't sure if like anything mattered anymore. When I've lost people I've loved, this knowing about heaven gives you perspective. I've told you before that I love, um, I was a math teacher, so I'm always trying to work mathematics into every part of my day, much to my children's chagrin. There's a scripture that says a day with the Lord is like, or a thousand days is like one day with the Lord. And I started doing the math on that. Like a thousand days here is like only one day with the Lord. And when my little brother died, I remember thinking, I don't, when my little brother died and my life just blew up. Like every part of my life, every part that was stable and secure. The scripture, a thousand days is like just a day to the Lord. I started doing the math on it, all of the mathematical people in the room. I realized that like, it gave me, it gave me some perspective. Okay, so like, my brother died when he was 18. And if I live to 100, well then that's like, you know, I'm hoping for 120, but you know, like, let's just go on the easy side, 100. That gives me like 82 years. Okay, 82 years at that point seemed like so much, but if you do the math that 1,000 days like a thousand, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. That's like five seconds. There's a gate on your mic. And so I realized, like now if I went to a restaurant with you, and I said, you know, we're going to meet at Denny's, 10 a.m., and if you got there at 9.58, and I arrived at 10.03, like, I don't think our friendship would be over. And if I found you in a puddle of tears, I'd be very worried for you, very, very worried, like... Uh, now, I'm not uh, saying this. This no. did not end my grief. Of course we grieve. But I recognize that I have a hope beyond... It's like, beyond in my end. My brother's going to get to heaven like five minutes before me. He's going to see Jesus five minutes before me. And my job is to live out the rest of these 82 years the for Jesus. Right because I have this hope of heaven that I know is real. Now, you might be going through, maybe nobody's died in your life. Maybe you're worried about your kids who are not serving Jesus. Oh, listen, I've been, I've been praying for you. All the DCAs are on. Are but I'm praying that now? God's going to give us such a revelation of, of this new, okay, cool. this place that he, is, that he is making for us. That the goodness of God would come pouring out of our lives in such a way that people would be attracted to it. Yes. It gives us perspective. And then it finally, it gives us hope. Hope. Like, I, I know the thing that our world needs right now is hope more than anything. That this is not all there is. If this is all there is, whew. I don't know if you read in the news this week, but, but like, the Horn of Africa is going to come into its worst famine in known history, perhaps. And you think we've got a war that we're dealing with on the other side of the planet, and Inflation, gas costs, like to drive to Banff now, cost you 250 smackaroos. Whoa. But you know what this hope of heaven, this is why we got to study this. 
because we cannot get, now I'm not saying we do not care, I'm not saying we are callous, I'm saying we, we ask for the wisdom of the Lord, but we cannot get so distracted by our now that we cannot see our tomorrow. We cannot get our heads stuck in the sand so badly with what we're doing right now that we cannot see that this is not all there is. And this is partly, this is partly why we come together every week, week after week after week after week. It's so that we can encourage each other. That yeah, like did you have a hard week this week? Maybe you had a hard week, maybe your body's breaking down. Maybe. But we remind ourselves that our now is not to distract us from our future. This is why our main job as parents is to raise our kids to understand this, to know this, to not raise them just for the here and now. I mean, they're going to get some kind of sports trophy. and No, no, no. We're, we're to raise them with the hope of heaven, yes? It's why as men and women of God, let me speak to the single people here. Let me speak to those of you that, that your children are grown. Your job is to continually point, we are to point each other to the hope of heaven. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Death, where is your sting? The hope we have is of heaven. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I'm praying that God is going to give you, all of us, new revelation and new hope. I, I, I know that there have been... Um, overreaches in this in the body. We, we become sometimes so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good and we ignore problems in the earth. I'm not calling us to that. I'm, I'm saying let's not swing the pendulum so far then that we actually, we actually never get a vision of heaven. So God, I pray for your kids today, every person that's here. Would you give us a new and fresh revelation of what we can look forward to? I pray that you'd breathe hope into people's hearts today that you're gonna wipe every tear from our eyes. That every heartache, every sea of pain and sorrow, that God, you're, you're going to say no more to that. That you're gonna call time. We can trust you and believe in you for something good, something better, something new and fresh. For the person that has yet to put their trust in you, today, God, I pray that they would reach out and trust you. Would you um, reveal yourself to them? Jesus, I thank you that this book of Revelation has given us uh, an unveiling of you. Would you unveil yourself? Thank you, God, that we can hang on today. For the person that's just like feeling like they can't even hang on, I pray that you would, um, you would help them just to hang on, to have hope in you. I'm going to call the prayer team forward. Last number of weeks, I've just felt like the Lord has asked us to do this. Maybe you're here and you're feeling um, like you just need someone to pray with you. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe you've got some... Yeah. Maybe it's a hope issue. Maybe it's just you need to pray that God will help you gain perspective on your circumstances. As we close today, I, I, I want to just invite, if you're here and you just need someone to pray with you, listen, we've got to normalize that we go through stuff. Like, let's stop pretending that every, 90% of my life is like really perfect. Let's normalize that we need each other, yes? That we cannot do it without each other. So if you're here this morning and you got 
stuff. Hey, welcome to the club. We all have stuff. Let's pray with each other. Let's believe each other. Let's believe with each other for miracles. And um, I, I, I'm believing that this side of heaven, that we're going to see God's kingdom come. So God, I pray that you'd give, give courage to your people now. May we be a people, God, that don't um, spend a lifetime pretending without you ministering to us. Give us courage now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.